This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's a brand new week. This is the Monday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as you know, or at least I hope you know, this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, uh, questions about church, anything and everything. I'll do the best that I can. We need only that you call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email your questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Again, thanks for tuning in. I hope you had a great weekend at church. We did. It's great to see people and um, just to see the joy in people's hearts, you know, coming back. I hope you had a chance to really, really hear from the Lord and let whatever the teaching was at your church um, actually allow the Holy Spirit to effectively change the way you think, the way you respond, the decisions, the choices you make throughout the day. That's what it means to be equipped to do the work of ministry. Hey, before we get into the questions, I don't have a bunch uh, today. I want to remind you that uh, our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies are tonight at 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Ladies, you can watch uh, online at calvaryessay.com at 7 o'clock. It is... um, Good opportunity for the family to come together. We had a new family yesterday who came in and and had an 18-year-old daughter and then mom and dad. And I said, uh, perfect opportunity, a smaller environment to sit down and um, um, just let the Lord minister to all of you. It's something that you can do together as a family, um, worship together, and then everybody kind of separates into their own rooms. Um, It's a great opportunity. Um, One more thing. I want to give you an update on Pastor James Coates and Grace Life Church in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Um, they're the pastor that spent, um, I said three and a half weeks, but it was it's actually more than that. It was 35 days in jail uh, because he wouldn't stop meeting as a church. Uh, and what they did was uh, they, they locked him up. 
Um, the public sort of really hated that move. There was a lot of pressure. They let him go. Well, on Thursday or Friday, and I can't remember the day. My, my memory's foggy. But Thursday or Friday of last week, the, the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, surrounded his church, um, took it over, uh, erected three fences now, one right near the church, one just a little bit outside the parking lot, and then one around the property lines. And they have been um, standing a vigil there, uh, preventing anybody from going in. So the church was unable to have Sunday services. They they went underground. Um, Pastor Coates doesn't feel at liberty to share where that was. But but just think of the absurdity of the words I'm using. A church in the northern hemisphere of this world, uh, in a country that is supposedly um, a place where freedom of religion exists, and they had to go underground. Please pray for the church there. Um, it's a church that, frankly, we at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio wouldn't have much in common with at all. Uh, but there are people that love the Lord. They wanted to meet in church. They've been meeting consecutively uh, throughout the uh, the pandemic. And um, and they've been completely shut down. And their church property seized from them. Now, I told our church, this is 2,100 miles away from us. This isn't in a third world country. This isn't China. Or this isn't um, the, the old USSR. We, all of us, we need to be ready because this is the kind of thing that's going to play out over and over and over again. We need to be ready. Please pray for them. I appreciate it. That's the the latest um, on his situation. Okay, well, let me go to some questions that have been sent in and uh, we will we'll await your phone calls. This is our first one. It is anonymous. Um, Pastor Ron, should Christians get the COVID-19 vaccine? Uh, Anonymous, I've addressed this a couple of times. People are curious. Um, I think that's an individual choice. Uh, Our position, my position personally, um, is that the vaccine is neither good nor bad. It's not something that you should be forced to do, uh, nor is it something that you should oppose. This is an individual decision that people need to make in the council with the Lord. Um, I realize there are some difficulties now um, manifesting as a result of of some of the vaccines. The Johnson Johnson vaccine primarily has been linked to uh, mysterious blood clots. Um, but but you know I think if you're afraid of getting COVID, you probably should get vaccinated. Um, I don't know. So um, Paula and I we've made our decision and. Um, Every one of you has the freedom to make whatever decision that you feel the Lord is leading you to make. So that's the best I can do on that. There's just not a Christian position on this at all. Here's a question from our email inbox on from Alan. He says, can you give me some insight on Smith Wigglesworth? I've read that he had the gift of healing. Uh, you know, Alan, I've never been asked about Smith Wigglesworth before, but I am very familiar with him because when I was a brand new Christian, I did a whole bunch of of um, study on um, the uh, Azusa Street Revival uh, in Los Angeles in 1905. 
and um, um, Smith Wigglesworth was sort of the British counterpart and had heavily uh, influenced the uh, the people in Los Angeles. Um, um, he claimed to have the gift of healing. Um, it wasn't quite the same as it is now, but he was sort of a... Um, he was born in the middle 19th century. Um, he, he was sort of a, a, a British Benny Hinn. Um, so he didn't have the gift of healing. Um, he was um, uh, wildly Pentecostal. Uh, he did all kinds of crusade events, similar to what you'd see with Catherine Kuhlman later, and then even more currently with men like Benny Hinn. And Alan, it was a sham then, it's a sham now. So um, he did not have the gift of healing. He just was a showman, and uh, gullible Christians bought it. So um, just be discerning. Read your Bible. The gift of healing, by the way, is not something that's given to a man. You know, it's always frustrating me to say, well, that man had the gift of healing. No, he didn't. In First Corinthians, when the gift of healing is spoken about. It's a gift that's it's in the plural, gift of healings. And the idea there is that the person who is healed receives a gift of healing. For instance, when I pray for somebody to get healed and they get healed, it wasn't me that had the gift of healing. It was the person who was ill who received the gift of healing. And that's what the gift of healing is about. It's not a, a spiritual gift. It's not an office. It's not something that 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 humans have the, the capacity to do at any particular time. Uh, we would know, for example, that the Apostle Paul healed people. We know that he raised people from the dead. Um, that was his signature as an apostle. Signs and wonders validated their ministry. But now, after the apostolic age, um, when God moves and heals somebody, then he just heals somebody. He does it sovereignly. We don't know why one person gets healed and another one doesn't, just in the same way we don't know uh, why uh, James was the first apostle martyred, uh, one of Jesus' inner circle, and then John, his brother, was the, 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 the apostle who lived the longest and died natural causes. Now, they tried to kill him, but but but, but God has different plans. And um, um, these are the kind of things that happen. So uh, don't spend a lot of time. If you want a little bit more background on him, there is some good reading. Uh, I found some stuff uh, way back when I first got saved, connected to the Azusa Street Revival. Um, uh, and, and it's interesting. Uh, and, and as history, it does play a part in the, the, the life of the church, uh, even today in the 21st century. So, um, Alan, it's just, unless you're just curious about the history, um, the excesses in his Pentecostal healing meetings um, were, were the same as the excesses in those same kinds of meetings today. Thank you for the question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. here is a question from Philip. Hello, Pastor. Good day to you, and I hope all is well with you and Paula. For someone who's currently going through a hard time, struggling, and is hesitant to meet our Jesus, what book of the Bible would you recommend for them to read, if any, 
or what is one of your verse-by-verse Bible studies that you would recommend they listen to? Well, Philip, I I would certainly recommend, rather than listening to me, that they would read uh, the Bible. Um, depending on the nature of the hard time. If somebody's going through a difficult time and it's just their life is sort of crushing them and they're discouraged, uh, Philippians is the best book by far for somebody to read. Uh, Imagine Paul sitting in a prison cell wanting to be out ministering the power of God and the Word of God. And yet, from that prison cell, he talks about joy. The book is just overwhelmingly joy-filled, and and I think that's a great one. Uh, If someone is struggling in other areas, uh, the book I always recommend is Ephesians. So let them read the book of Ephesians. Um, I I always recommend that it's it's read in two sections. Read the first three chapters uh, four or five times. It doesn't take that long. It's not not a very long book. But read the first three chapters uh, three, four, five, six times. And then when you've, when you've got it, and by that I mean the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, then read the last three chapters three, four, five times. And when you do it, I promise you the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And, and Philip, for anybody who's struggling, going through difficult times now, um, one of the things you have to do is fight and the last thing anybody feels like doing when they're going through something difficult is reading the Bible or, or talking with the Lord. But it's what you have to do. I was so proud of Paula today. I was listening to her ministering to somebody on the telephone, somebody who's going through a difficult time. And um, and, and her, her counsel was, uh, read Ephesians. I know you don't feel like it, but read Ephesians. And and Paula will follow up and check back and see how the Lord is speaking to her. See, that's that's people need to be encouraged to do the thing they feel the least like doing. Remember, the enemy's always trying to find a sitting duck. And when you're stationary, it's easy for him to mess with you. But when you're talking to the Lord, when you're walking with Jesus, uh, it's really uh, impossible for Satan to have any impact or any effect at all. So um, I have, by the way, uh, Philip, um, all of our stuff is free. It's online. And uh, any of my studies uh, through uh, Philippians or Ephesians uh, are available for somebody who wants a little bit of insight into what the Spirit of God is saying. Thank you for the question, Philip. I don't know if you're talking about you going through a difficult time, but um, we'll be praying for you. God bless. Here is a question from Randy. What role does psychology play in the lives of troubled Christians? Randy, um, I don't think it ought to play any role at all. I know that people are going to be upset with me for saying that, but psychology, the foundation of psychology is antichrist. I mean, all of the, the fathers of the psychology movement were atheists and Darwinists. And uh, why would we want advice from somebody who doesn't know God? And I know that so much of the church has been influenced by psychology. We get this attitude that, well, you know, uh, if you go, if you get sick physically, you go to a doctor. So if you're sick in the head, you go to a psychologist. Not when, in fact, they're antichrist. Why would we want any counsel at all from somebody who 
doesn't know God and is going to dismiss any notion that any one of us would follow the leading of, of God or the word of God in our lives. It just has never made any sense to me. And so, uh, Randy, I, I just can't imagine that it would play any beneficial role at all. Now, let me make a, an exception here. Um, when people are dealing with real mental illnesses, then I think especially when medication is needed or diagnosis is needed, uh, then I think trained psychologists and or psychiatrists, psychiatrists can can uh, write prescriptions for medication. Uh, I think then then they can be helpful. I think people that suffer from mental illnesses, um, especially Christians, need to be medicated if that's what it takes to keep them in a place where they can honor the Lord. But um, in general, just the role of psychology. Uh, you know, we do a lot of counseling here, uh, Randy, and when we do counseling, um, I see people all the time who have to be sort of untherapized. I made that word up. But, but, but they've got so much junk in their brain that that they're they're unreachable and and they need an experience with God the Holy Spirit and so I just don't think psychology should play any kind of a role at all in the lives of a troubled Christians except with the caveat that I mentioned so Randy I hope that makes sense to you here's a question from Philip another Philip um, he says I fall short of the fruits of the Spirit characterizing my life. How can I change that? Randy, you can't change it unless you're with Jesus, unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and unless you're purposing in your heart to honor God. Now, the truth is, Randy, we all fall short of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. We all fall short of those at times. So the way to change it when you find yourself falling short is to repent, recognize that it's sin. And if you go to the passage of Scripture in Galatians, starting in, in, in chapter 5, verse 19, there is a description of the bad fruit. I call it the bad fruit of the flesh. When you're walking in the Spirit, that list won't be what you're struggling with. But when you're walking according to the flesh, you're going to recognize envy and jealousy and fits of rage and on and on and on. And, and so that, that, that requires repentance to let those bad fruits um, characterize your life is sin. And we can't write it off to just having a bad day. What we've got to do is we've got to say, Lord, that kind of behavior dishonors you. Please forgive me. The Apostle Paul, in one of the most instructive passages in all of Scripture, in Romans chapter 7, Paul describes his own experience with the bad fruits of the flesh. The things I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing, he says. And then he comes to the conclusion, O wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? And then in where the, the whole book of Romans turns. I thank my God through Jesus Christ. He's the one that can deliver us. And then, of course, we move into Romans chapter 8, which is a chapter characterized by life in the Spirit of God. 
So all you got to do when you find yourself falling short is repent and then tell God you're sorry and then say, okay, Lord, fill me afresh with your spirit. And then what you'll see being more normal in your life are those fruits that I spoke about earlier. Um, Philip, one thing is really important for you. Um, recognize, not with guilt or condemnation, but recognize that everyone, whether it's you or me, when we're not with Jesus, we're going to have a really difficult time. We can't. In fact, we don't even want to, 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 to say no to our flesh. But when you're with Jesus, then what you've got to do is say, okay, Lord, I want to be with you. Recognize the need to be with him. Otherwise, there's nothing good at all that you can do. You know, we want to be better, we try harder, but the truth of the matter is we can't, in our own strength, do anything good. We might be good for a little bit of time, but we're always going to cave in to the demands of our flesh. Jesus said that, that to be his disciple, we have to deny our flesh. Pick up our cross daily, that's to die to our flesh, and then follow him. So be with Jesus. That's the easiest way. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question that was sent in to um, Mark from San Antonio, I think. Was Balaam a good prophet gone bad or a bad prophet gone good? How can we learn from this? Mark, Balaam is one of the really, really interesting characters because nobody really knows what to do with him. Now, I think Balaam... Was, we know Balaam was a seer, but by, by that he was he was connected to. He was a Gentile, by the way. Uh, he was connected to uh, uh, fortune telling and and uh, I believe empowered by a demonic spirit. But I think Balaam is only called a prophet in the the Bible because God spoke through him. It wasn't God spoke through him because he was a prophet. It was that God spoke through him and he became a prophet. And by definition, anybody through whom God speaks is a prophet. And um, um, he spoke the truth. He delivered the message that God wanted him to. Now, he didn't want to, and he worked behind the scenes to sort of undo the, 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 the encouragement that God had given to his people. Um, but, but he wasn't a prophet the way Isaiah was or Jeremiah was or any of our Old Testament prophets, major or minor. But um, um, God used him. Uh, You might remember that God even used his donkey. And so uh, I think Balaam was just somebody who, who, um, when God chose to speak to him, God intervened. Uh, The the king, um, uh, Balak, hired uh, Balaam to um, to curse Israel. And God said, uh, intervened, said, nope, you're not going to do it. Any more than, than Abimelech or Pharaoh in Egypt um, were, were servants of God when God also interrupted their plans to mess with God's people. So um, I think that he was, he wasn't, he certainly wasn't a good prophet, but Jesus, in fact, condemns him in his letters to the churches in Revelation. But he, uh, 
Uh, he became a prophet when God spoke through him. And I think that confuses us. What can we learn from it? We can learn that God can speak through donkeys. He can speak through anybody. Um, but but I think the, the most important lesson from Balaam is that uh, he knew he was speaking to God, that God was speaking to him. And he still chose to rebel. And that's not very smart. That's not very smart at all. So that's the, the, the story on Balaam the prophet. Good question. Thank you very, very much. We've got only a couple minutes left for this side of the program. Um, Wes wants to know, is worry a sin that I need to repent of? Um, I don't think worry is a sin. Jesus said don't worry all the time. Uh, our human nature says, well, I don't care what you say, I'm going to worry. And that's the way it's going to be. Now, it's not something we have to do. So I think what we need to do, Wes, is when we find ourselves worrying, we have to realize that, Jesus, I'm trying to carry this burden rather than letting you do it. And so what I what I choose to do instead is to let you carry the burden, and I'm sorry, Lord, for not trusting you. So I think as that, that's as much repentance as you need, and repentance, you know, just simply means to, to make a U-turn in life, start to change your behavior, go in the opposite direction. And I think worry, especially, Wes, for those of us who constantly worry about things, um, it's a lifestyle that needs to be repented of. So it's not uh, a sin like murder, um, but, but when we worry, it demonstrates that we're not trusting God, and I think it has its roots in unbelief, and I think we, we need to be really, really careful of it. The enemy uses worry to get our minds off Christ, and that's the last thing that we want to do. Hey, well, you can hear the music. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. We would love your calls in the second half of the show. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. Hey, as I'm sure most of you are aware, you're feeling it too, the there's an all-time high today in San Antonio for oak pollen, and my voice sounds like it, so I apologize for the rough edges around my voice, but uh, I would appreciate your prayers. This has been a really difficult season for somebody who always has a microphone in his face. Here is an anonymous question. Um, he says, I am serious about being a godly leader in my home, but my wife won't cooperate. She refuses to pray with me or spend time in the Bible together. She does go to church, but that's pretty much it. Uh, Anonymous, I'm sorry for the difficulty. I'm thrilled that you are serious about being a godly leader in your home. So here's what you can do. Obviously, you're praying for your wife. Don't get frustrated with her. Pray for her. I know how difficult that is. Let her know that you're serious about being a godly leader in your home and you're going to be praying for her and there's going to be a time and, and find a consistent time where she can count on it. There's going to be a time in the day when I'm going to be alone in a room 
praying, and you have a standing invitation to join me. I'm going to spend time with the Lord, and 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 I would love nothing more than for you to be there with me. So you can depend on the fact that I'm going to be in um, uh, my room, or I'm going to be in the office, or someplace else, and I'm going to be praying, and I'd love for you to come with me. The same thing is true in reading the Bible. Um, you might ask her why she refused to pray with you or read the Bible together. You might ask her why, if she doesn't want anything to do with the Lord, why she goes to church at all. You might tell her that you can't imagine heaven without her. And that what you want more than anything else is for the two of you together to honor Jesus with your lives. And and ex- expect some spiritual resistance. But at the same time, when he sees you serious about those commitments, the Holy Spirit will move on her heart. You keep praying for her, and one day she'll show up there. Now here's something else, and this is equally important. You need to live a life filled with the joy of the Lord in your home. She needs to see that the fact that you're serious about Jesus and you're serious about being a godly leader in your home has benefit for her. You know, so often we tell our wives, for example, I love you, but they don't feel loved. We tell them that that they're beautiful, but they don't feel beautiful. So she's got to see that there's a benefit to her that you are a godly man. And if you're grouchy or if you're frustrated or if your your moods swing one way and then the other, um, there's no real benefit. So be filled with the joy of the Lord. You be with Jesus in his presence is the fullness of joy. And when you do that, she'll recognize that the best thing that's happened to her is you being a godly husband. So remember, she's watching your life. And so often when we're having troubles at home, we'll use that as an excuse to be down or to, to, to feel like our joy has been stolen. Remember, she now becomes the object of your ministry. And what you want to do is make sure she sees with her own eyes, she sees that there's nothing better that could happen to her than being married to you. So you lead by example. Keep talking to her. Keep praying for her. Keep asking the question. Don't nag, but keep asking the question. And when she sees that there's just something God is doing in you, just something God is doing in you, the Holy Spirit will move on your heart, I promise. And then I'm sorry you're going through that. I had a, a wonderful experience yesterday. We've had a, a couple, David and Linda, uh, who have gone to our church, have come for a long time. Um, and uh, they announced yesterday, they came up and said, uh, Thursday will be our 50th wedding anniversary. And, you know, these two weren't always in a really good place, but now he's so full of the joy of the Lord, and, and her heart has always been just so pure and genuine for Jesus. And and you can tell they they really enjoy being together. And they're bragging, you know, now about their uh, their 50th wedding anniversary. Uh, give the Holy Spirit a chance to move, Anonymous. Thank you for the question. Let's go to line one, our first call, Matthew from San Antonio. Matthew, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir. How you doing, Pastor Ron? Um, I'm doing well, Matthew. Thank you. 
Yes, sir. It's good to hear your voice for one. Uh, I'll be honest. This is probably the third time I've called you over the course of about a year and a half. Uh, I oh, may or may not remember me, but I asked about uh, suicide and different things mm-hmm. in relation to suicide. And you've uh, been very gracious to help me before. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say I'm still bothered by it. Uh, I guess my question today would be, you know, because I haven't had like a traumatic life experience. You know, I, I, I feel disrespectful almost even talking about the situation because different people feel suicide for different things. I don't have the traditional things. I just feel that I was born a mistake and that I was never meant to be born in the first place. And as I see my kids' life unfold and, and life flourishes, I feel like I don't deserve it. And so I feel like it just pushes me closer to just wanting to take my own life. And it, uh, it, I'll try to give you the short version because I feel like I'm talking too long now. But when I was no, a child, okay. it just kind of... When I was a child, it, it just kind of felt like there was something that was always there. It's nothing like a person living with us or anything like that, but something I can't explain, ominous. I don't know how to explain it. It would come at night, and it just kind of felt, it told me I wasn't good enough. And that's mm-hmm. just been with me for, I'm going to be 37 this year, and it's been with me for as long as I can remember. And so I've just never felt, I just feel as I'm a mistake. I don't know how else to put it, so... Anything you can say to that, I'll just listen, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Pastor Ron. Matthew, before you uh, before you hang up, let me ask you this: In our previous conversation, I asked you if if you were a Christian. You said yes. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. God bless you. Thank you. Listen to the answer. I'm going to encourage you. Okay. Thanks a lot. You. Um, you're, you're right. You're right, Matthew. There, there is, there's always been a voice telling us you'll never measure up. You're never good. Sometimes that voice comes through human beings, but the voice is always satanic. It is always, 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 always satanic. He came to rob, to kill, to steal, and destroy. And that's what he's been trying to do, not just in you. It's not like you're the only target um, in, in all of us. Now, Matthew, you have the power that raised Christ and the dead living in you. What that means is it's impossible that you were a mistake. Romans 8.29 says that God, I'm going to give you the paraphrase that makes this real simple. God chose to love you from before the foundation of the earth. God in his sovereign power, in his sovereign love, God chose to love you before you were even born. And the reason he chose to love you is because he knew that there would be a day when you would become a believer. And there's nothing that you've ever done that could have changed his mind. I lived such an evil, wicked life before I got saved that I can't sometimes believe that that God could love me. But he does, and he proved it once and for all. So the first thing you have to do, Matthew, is recognize that this is a full-blown satanic attack. He keeps pushing the same buttons. If you've been dealing with this for for most of your life, um, when when he decides to, to attack, he just keeps pushing the same button because he knows it works. He knows it throws you off. He knows that it causes you to fall into a, 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 a bad spin. So um, understand, it's the enemy, and you don't want to listen to anything that he says. Every time you get those feelings... What I want you to do is read the first three chapters, especially chapter 1 of Ephesians. 
pretty soon the enemy, if, if every time he tells you that lie, if every time you do it, you open up and read, and I don't mean just scan it, but read Ephesians chapter 1, he's going to stop doing it because he doesn't want you to read Ephesians chapter 1. Because Ephesians chapter 1 tells you not only how secure you are in Christ, but how much he loves you. It tells you about the character, the heart, the nature of God. And that's the one thing the enemy doesn't want. So it is a full-blown satanic attack. The second thing that you have to remember is that as a Christian, you're not your own. Your body is not your own. It belongs to Jesus. You were bought with the price. And you have no right not just to entertain suicidal thoughts, but, but even to think about how you might do it or when you might do it. You have no right. A Christian, Matthew, simply recognizes that this body doesn't belong to me. It belongs to Jesus, so I can't do anything to harm it. It's simply not a decision that you can make. It's like abortion. You know, when, when somebody uh, is kind of she's like into abortion, you don't have a right. There's a, there's a human life that has to be protected. Well, you're the human life that needs to be protected. And you've got to make the decision once and for all that when you hear Satan telling you those lies, that you've settled the issue, I'm not going to take my own life because I can't do it. I can't do it. It's not my right to do it. I have no say-so in the matter. And then you've got to really realize, Matthew, how much God loves you. I'm going to give you a homework assignment for tonight. I want you to open your Bible to Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. It's different in different translation. And you're going to see um, divisions of it with subtitles. And one of them says, Lover. And Matthew, that's Jesus speaking directly to you. Now, it's a real story. It's a historical story. But, but it's also empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus talking to you. And it may seem strange because he's going to tell you how beautiful you are, my darling. He's going to tell you that you're perfect, that there's no flaw in you. And you're going to say, no, I'm a mistake. There's all kinds of flaws. And, and if you let the Holy Spirit have his way, he's going to convince you how much he loves you. And Matthew, one of the things that you've got to realize is that when, when God loves you that much, there's no mistake. Your life is a mistake. Your life has meaning and purpose. Now, if you read just the headline part that say lover, those, those subdivisions, lover, that's Jesus speaking to you. There's eight chapters in the book. It won't take you long at all. Um, I, I think I timed it a couple of times. It's, it's, it's like eight or nine minutes to read all of them. And read it and reread it and reread it. And let the Holy Spirit fall upon you. And then Matthew, and I say this respectfully, you're a 37-year-old man, I say this lovingly, you got to toughen up. you got to realize that you're in a fight. And the one that wants to, to kill you um, isn't going to relent. He's not going to take it easy on you. But he who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. And Jesus will wrap his arms around you. All you have to do is run to him, Matthew. Run to him. 
And then, Matthew, I'm going to ask you to do one other thing, and this is just a, a personal thing, and uh, I understand if you don't want to do it, but but uh, I'd like you to come visit so one day I can wrap my arms around you and, and, and remind you just how much he loves you. I want to do that. I want to look into your eyes. And, Matthew, I will be praying for you constantly. Get in the Word. Don't listen to your own thoughts. Don't isolate away from the Word of God. If you hang out with Jesus, if you're in the Word, if you talk to Him, that's what we call prayer. If you just talk to Him, His presence will be so powerfully on you that the enemy won't have an opening. So, Matthew, let us know how you're doing, and I will be praying for you constantly. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585. Excuse me again, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, Leon asked me, he says, please talk about biblical masculinity. Leon, this is one of my favorite things to talk about because it's nothing like people expect. Um, Jesus is the toughest guy ever lived. He was a man, 100% human. He was a tough guy. So biblical masculinity is just being like Jesus. That should be one of the prayers from our hearts every single day. Lord, help me to love you more and help me to be more like you. That's what masculinity is all about. It's strength, Leon, but it's, it's, it's power under control. Jesus is described as meek and humble. That's biblical masculinity. Jesus was kind and compassionate. He was slow to anger. Abounding in love. That's biblical masculinity. It's taking the lead in your home. By, by that I mean you, you lead your family members to Jesus. As the dad, as the husband, you don't have to have all the answers, but, but you lead your family to the one who does have all the answers. That's what biblical masculinity is. And any contrary notions, um, you know, there was a book that was sweeping through the, the, the Christian churches, I don't know, 10 years or so ago, uh, called Wild at Heart. I, I think the guy's name was Etheridge or something that wrote it. And, and you know, we're, we're born wild, and, and it's just absolute nonsense. You want to see what a man is like, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And if you do that, believe me, what people will be seeing when they look at you is the man of God. That's what it is, Leon. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to our phone lines. We've got uh, Amir from San Antonio on line one. Amir, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Yes, Pastor Ron. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Amir. Good, good. I was just calling in regards to this individual that called Matthew earlier. Yes. Just a couple uh-huh. of months ago. I just wanted to give an encouraging word. I believe that uh, um, that it's it's, it's going to be a good thing for him to hear this. Uh, as he was uh, sharing his testimony, um, I kind of lived that life as well myself and have some sort of a similar uh, background. And But I made it through, and I just wanted to give him an encouragement. The, the, the verse that came to my mind, and I hope, Matthew, that you're listening, and uh, the book of Jeremiah, 1 verse 5, this is what the Lord says about you. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. 
before you mm-hmm. were born, that you are part and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And I wanted you to just, I wanted Matthew to really know that the Lord has a desire and a purpose for his life, that he was not a mistake. He wasn't, he wasn't just born as a mistake, but God has formed him and knew him and has a purpose for his life. And I really believe that the purpose for his life is to save others who are in the same situation as he is in the future. So uh, I hope he's listening, and I thank you for passing on forward and your encouragement as well. My pleasure, Amir. Thank you. I couldn't have said it. I did not say it as well as you did. You know, um, Matthew, what Amir said is, is uh, one of the purposes of your life is to minister to others. Uh, we serve, according to Paul, writing to the Corinthians, the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we may comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So, Matthew, I, the, the reason I love this program so much is because men like Amir, godly men like Amir, who've gone through what you've gone through, listen to the Spirit of God, give you the, the correct instruction. And now I know Amir is one who will be praying for you. And this program, that the audience of this program are people that pray ridiculously, so and in a good way. And so, um, um, Matthew, that was God through Amir reaching out to you right now today to let you know that you matter deeply. And an all-powerful, all-knowing God doesn't make mistakes. Amir, God bless you. See, that's why I've been doing this program for nine years. I would have been off the air a long time ago. It was just me listening to me. Thank you, Amir. God really used you today. Here's a question from Jackie. She says, I recently lost a close relative who I don't believe knew Jesus. I'm struggling a lot with him being in hell. Can you advise? Jackie, these are hard ones. You know, we have to realize that the one thing God will not do, you know, we we serve a God that can do anything. But the one thing he won't do, he cannot do, is override the free will of an individual. And this relative is somebody that that I'm, I'm obviously you share Jesus with. And um, you did your part. You did your part. And now what you have to rest with is the knowledge that, that a righteous, just God gave your relative every opportunity to come to know him. And that Jesus loved him so much that he, he sent you Jackie to to him to tell him about Jesus because he did whatever his judgment is in this relative is a righteous judgment and you got to be able to 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 rest comfortably in that rather than focusing on him being possibly being in hell being in torment Focus instead on the tears of Jesus pronouncing, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Focus on the fact that in order to go to hell, we literally have to step over Jesus' dead body to do so. Rest in the sovereignty of God, knowing that God so loved the world that he made it difficult for your relative to reject him. But if, in fact, he did reject him, God's judgments are just and righteous, and that needs to be the object 
of your 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 prayers, your thoughts, just oh Lord. And I hope, Jackie, that you'll get even more motivated to tell other people who aren't saved about Jesus. You see, that's the constructive way. This is a testimony. I just lost a close relative who, who I, I, I don't think they knew Jesus. And, and when you're witnessing to the next person, relative or not, you can say, I don't want that to happen to you. That's what we do. That's how we respond as believers. But don't let the enemy have an opportunity to cause you to question the goodness of God or the fairness of God or even the love of God. And we get that all the time. How could a loving God send anybody to hell? God didn't send anybody to hell. He honored the choice that your relative made. In questions like this, Jackie, I always think of the Apostle Paul who in his farewell to the Romans, he he, uh, acknowledges two of his relatives who were in Christ before he was. Think about that. They, they, they were a relative of Saul of Tarsus as believers, and, and they, Saul was infamous for the way he was persecuting Christians. And these relatives would have gone before God repeatedly, over and over and over, praying for their cousin or their uncle or whoever he was to them. Saul of Tarsus, please, O oh God, they would cry out, get him, grab his heart, make him stop persecuting the church. And of course, we know that's exactly what happened. And who knows, maybe it was that appointment on the road to Damascus where Jesus was literally answering their specific prayers. So the fact that we rebel against God of our own free will doesn't mitigate at all the love of God, the fairness, or the justice of God. So my counsel to you, Jackie, is to really, really focus on what you know about God for sure. Sorry about your loss, but I hope it motivates you to share Jesus with more. Isaac says this will be our last question of the day. He says, "Is God is sovereign, so how can he blame me for sinning? It's easy, Isaac. He can blame you because you made the choice to sin. I mean, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? You made the choice to sin, so you get to blame. And um, uh, it's that simple. You can choose to do right every day, or you can choose to sin every day. And if you've sinned, and obviously you have, well, then God gives you the opportunity to repent of that sin and accept the forgiveness of sin. It's not his fault you make the wrong choices. It's yours. And these kind of questions, Isaac, are dishonest questions. Just so you know, I know, um, You're looking for an excuse to continue to sin because you want to keep sinning and you want to sin with impunity and a sovereign, holy God simply says, nope, not possible, it's not going to happen. So Isaac, that's the answer to your question. You get the blame because you committed the sins. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Remember our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies tonight at 7 o'clock. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll be praying for you. Thank you, Amir, for calling as well. See you tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM630, The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. 
The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.